We have a number of people in Sweden, like Tony Irving, that we you know uh, know very well. He's a professional dancer. But I think one of my favorite videos of all is this Finnish video called Finsk uh, Disco. <laughs> <laughs> I know that pretty well. <laughs> You do? Yeah. How is that? Oh, actually, the guy, Åke Blomqvist, uh, yeah. on that uh, video, was actually teaching me how to dance. <laughs> so I don't know if I know how to dance, really. <laughs> but you should absolutely uh, watch that video. But, but, yeah, you should. So anyone can just Google for uh, Finsk Disco, and, and they will find this uh, very famous, like 20 years ago, or how old is this video, you think? Or? Yeah, it has to be older than that, you know. <laughs> Check okay. out the style. <laughs> How would, you, yeah. how would you describe that that video? What is it trying to do there? Yeah, it's like <laughs> he is well trying to kind of do disco dancing with mm. uh, like Travolta style, yeah. but with a kind of a more discreetly like the Finns do. So not too <laughs> much expression or movement. Gordon, do you think you can find the video or? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Uh, I think it's an awesome thing to do on pre parties or whatnot <laughs> to, to show this, and everyone gets in the mood. But you actually were having lessons with this person? Yes, we have a, in school, we have this tradition to have like a, a dancing uh, lessons and, and a dancing show when yeah. we we're in high school. And uh, Åke Blomqvist was our teacher for the dance. So, uh, so, <laughs> 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 so I'm sure you won't pick me up on the dance floor. <laughs> Finnish disco. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and the definition of Finnish disco is like not too elaborate, right? Yeah, so like Finns, Finns are quite kind of, a, it's a straight to the point, not too much hustle. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but what did you actually uh, learn or what was your type of dance that you studied? Uh, I've been uh, dancing the uh, jazz ballet uh, ah, and okay. then some disco dance. Oh, okay. Of course, <laughs> of course yes. Oke, yes. Yeah. With Oke and with a woman called Ira Samulin as well yeah. when yeah. I was uh, little. Yeah. And she's rather famous. She's famous really well. famous. Yeah. I think she's closer to 90 or 100 years old and she looks oh. awesome. Really? And she still dances with this long uh, red hair and fantastic person yeah a little bit more movement than Åke <laughs> still at 90 years yes, old yes absolutely she's very vibrant <laughs> cool yeah but uh, uh, Petronella uh, who are you yeah, I'm a, a happy 46 year. I was just kind of messing up today. Also, I'm a 46 or 47, but <laughs> I decided to be 46 today. <laughs> uh, a happy 46 year old uh, data nerd uh, with a background in the fashion industry. Uh, a little bit of a uh, impulsive uh, personality who likes to uh, build. Uh, and stuff. build stuff and start uh, new crazy adventures where there is some, something very kind of a uh, deep kind of a uh, culture and values and, uh, and also some, some fantastic idea and passion behind uh, the idea. So a little bit of a start upper. Yeah. And, and now you are um, the managing director of uh, Solita uh, Sweden, Abbe, and, mm. and was, has been part of the journey of building up Solita in Sweden, but let's not start there. I want to start. Uh, uh, who, what what was the diesel years all about? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was actually uh, 
really kind of you know you you do a lot of stuff during your kind of uh, career and 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 working life and uh, and this was actually my starting point of uh, my real career i have always been very kind of a uh, Uh, fascinated about fashion and passionate about kind of uh, clothes and so on. And I started in the fashion industry and uh, and then I got recruited to an important uh, uh, company who imported uh, different kinds of brands like O'Neill. And then they had this very strange brand called Diesel with jeans that didn't come from the U.S., And we have all kinds of uh, uh, different things uh, that we imported. And then... Uh, uh, The kind of the diesel jeans, we started to believe in them more and more and dumped all the other brands. And there started this fantastic journey with diesel when it actually became larger than Levi's in, in Finland. And as we know, in Sweden, it has been huge as well and globally. So I, I remember I remember when my Levi's was not cool anymore. And I had to go out and persuade my mom, we need diesel, mom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a, it was a funny story because uh, uh, the whole company had such passion and such kind of innovation capacity and and such kind of a culture. We were like a family, even though we were placed in different countries and it was such an international and, and crazy atmosphere. So it just also kind of uh, uh, gave me the kind of the platform of where I want to be, what kind of uh, environment I want to work in. So really, really fantastic. Uh, so, so what was that culture all about? The family you have said before, very innovative marketing, really high. You know, could you elaborate on? But it's on it's a little bit kind of uh, sticking out in a positive and good way. It's just kind of uh, making a little bit of waves, uh, being somebody who shocks the market, does things in a different way. And that's something that I really like, just to not only to fit in, yeah. <laughs> but to create a new market, to create a new way of thinking and 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 uh, introducing something that is so awesome. Yeah, that because even the Levi's uh, people changed. Because I, I, even I can remember, where were we talking, the 90s? Yeah, it's in the 90s. I was there from, uh, I think, 93. Three until ninety uh, nine, because I remember yeah. even the marketing and and the whole feeling of the brand was quite different. So obviously the people behind that, uh, uh, how to make that happen in Finland and Sweden, mm. uh, quite special. Must have been quite cool times. Yeah, it was really, and 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 also the kind of um, uh, the uh, we were all all a little bit crazy <laughs> in that sense <laughs> that we believed in something. I remember my first day at job. I uh, then we didn't have mobile phones and we didn't have any kind of a mega internet that was actually working and so on. So, so what what I did on my first day, I got a list of all the jeans shops in uh, Finland, and I got a map, Finnish map of Finland, and uh, then I started calling. Hello, this is Petronella from Diesel. I would like to come by and show you some jeans. Oh. Poor girl, you have called wrong. This is a clothing store, not a gas station. <laughs> and that was the answer. But that's how it started. And I got some meetings booked. And then they put me and a car in a train up to the north of uh, Finland. And then I started driving down and meeting all these gin stores. But mm. I think you actually managed to hit it rather big in US as well. Uh, I can still remember one day I, I went down Manhattan at some point in, in New York. And someone someone came up to me and said, you know, Uh, you you must must be really rich. You have diesel jeans on you. You know, yeah. if you go with Levi's, it's like nothing there. 
And diesel was really, you know, I think hot at that time. Yeah, it was. And it was also kind of a very high-end brand yeah. because it was, of course... Uh, it's Italian, right? It's Italian. It's Italian, yeah. Milano-based? No, it's uh, close to Venice. Like, Venice. Uh, yeah, like all of the kind of clothing industries okay, okay, all okay. gathered there. Uh, and uh, in a little uh, town of Molvena where Renzo Rosso, uh, mm. uh, a genius, uh, who started the whole thing and, and gathered a bunch of fantastic profiles around him. And that was just kind of really thinking out of the box and, and doing something something awesome with something that has been on the market for a long time. Yeah. And and now to move on a little bit, another cool thing we should talk about is that, of course, from the fashion industry and this making a transition, how do you move in? How do you how is your journey to the data space yeah. where you are today? So let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Uh, I, I worked, uh, as I said, uh, at Diesel for quite a long time and we, we hit kind of the, the top marks and so on. And it was kind of an awesome place to be. Uh, after a while, so I started to kind of uh, wanted to develop myself as well and see maybe some other industries, not only fashion industry, because I was young and I didn't want to make the decision that fashion is my life for forever. So I need to see something else. And uh, uh, Finland being a small market, so consultancy company felt like a good good option because then to, you get to work in yeah. different. You don't have to commit <laughs> to the industry, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. But you can try, kind of a, uh, and and I got recruited to the one of the big fours uh, in uh, CRM, uh, customer relationship management, because they thought that the kind of a way of thinking that I uh, had learned from from Diesel. Uh, with understanding the customer uh, and generating win-win and value and so on. So it was... Uh, the future. Yeah, the future. And they had this CRM strategies and processes, kind of a change management. Uh, but still yeah. one of the big fours, American consultant. Yeah, yeah. And it was very different, let's say, like this crazy family with no hierarchies and and uh, and uh, everybody kind of uh, doing this together and so on into the very kind of other kind of... <laughs> environment so it was also a kind of but it was exciting as well to mm. to see how a company can be run also and 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 be successful and of course there i also saw the kind of the structures of how to build uh, strategies how to build uh, successful companies how to get uh, processes working and what is the change all about like in a more systematic way so i got this awesome toolkit with yeah, me. Yeah, a, a great toolkit and also a crash course. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Uh, in this way. Yeah. And, and then from CRM, I guess the state of CRM now and then <laughs> moving into the data space. Yeah, because CRM was, uh, it was in that point that there was a big hype of implementing CRM systems and uh, and uh, working with the customer data in, in some way. And, and usually you categorize the customers like ABC, like the best customers and not so not so interesting ones. And uh, and it was very much kind of out uh, from the corporate perspective. Yeah, in, an inside-out inside, perspective. Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. And cost efficiency yeah. more than creating win-win situations for the, for the customer and the company. And I got really interested about uh, data mining algorithms and, and started to read about them. And I also, actually, I, I didn't even uh, have time to graduate from uh, uh, business school of Helsinki yet. So I, I was studying a mathematical uh, 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 subject that's called uh, management science, where we try to model the world with uh, math and do optimization models and so on. And then I had combination of marketing, which was totally crazy at that time. <laughs> so there there I got kind of my eyes, out, uh, eyes on, on the data and how to utilize and how to learn more of stuff that we don't figure out with our heads 
that we can actually kind of have algorithms that find more information and and do not have that kind of maybe the bias <laughs> in them uh, to find these kind of win-win situations. And and from here now, you I think then it's what's intensia intensia. Yes, yeah, the Swedish ERP. <laughs> yeah, so now so then from CRM and consulting you to the vendor space. If yeah, you like. yeah, because then I got headhunted there, uh, and uh, they had just launched a uh, data warehouse product, very very first one. I can't even remember. It was based on the SQL Server version, whatever. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I was very old, <laughs> and it was it, it was like a pioneer job to get that thing working but still it was the first data warehouse they wanted to build a business around the data warehousing and and bi and uh, i got the job to to build that business in finland in there uh yeah and just to have some technical parts of this as well data warehouse is a term that's used by by many people and there are other terms like data lakes and Mm -hmm. uh, can have yeah different type of databases whatever kind what is your preferred definition of like data warehouse? Yeah, I think uh, at this point, uh, data warehouse was uh, in the beginning. It was somewhere where you from the operational systems that are really kind of uh, designed for uh, processing transactions and being efficient in that way, but not very good in summarizing the data and giving you kind of KPIs and, and analysis and so on. So what we did was to gather that data into a data warehouse in order to restructure that for more analytical purposes so that you're going to have reports and dashboards and uh, that kind of stuff. Nowadays, I think uh, data warehouse uh, it has serves purpose in the bigger kind of a data platform context. Mm-hmm. It can be one part of a, a larger data platform where you have different kinds because you have so many different kinds of users and use cases for data nowadays. So it's not only the reporting. What do you think about the data lake concept? Do you have any feelings or thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I I I, I have no kind of a huge love or hate relationship <laughs> toward data lakes. It depends how you how you build it. Mm. I think the most important thing in uh, we work a lot with uh, and almost only with the cloud-based data platforms and mm. and data lake is somewhere like the one part of the the solution. But it's um uh, you need to govern uh, the data because. Data is not kind of structured in the same way. And you can, also, of course, like build a data lake that is total mess mm. uh, if you don't have kind of the supporting governance and, and the structures and data catalogs and this and mm. that. So you have to have an idea. But it's a, it's one part of, uh, of a data platform and it can serve a purpose for some use cases, but maybe you need a data warehouse to complement that for, for yeah, modeling perfect. purposes and so, so on. So it's not like they're replacing each other, it's like two complements rather than... yes. Yes. yes, because you have a, a lot of different. Then there is the kind of the emerging uh, concept of data mesh that is yeah. actually yeah, and that's really interesting because it's uh, more of a uh, kind of a trading trading data between uh, maybe business units or our functions or maybe kind of even externally. Well, if mm. we try to just you know clarify for for people you know what the differences are, um, mm. I mean, some people say data lakes is basically the raw data you just pour in the lake so to speak, and, mm. and then you can put some structure on it and, and get mm. some kind of warehouse perhaps from more operational databases mm. that you have, uh, and then the data mesh. How would you describe the differences? 
Yeah, you can. It depends. It depends on the company and the, and the needs as well. But of course, the data lake is usually kind of described exactly like you you say that it's a little bit more un, uh, unstructured data that you take in. But there, you as said, you can't be totally unstructured because then you can't find it, find the data. And some sometimes you don't need the data warehouse, so you can actually enter the data lake and fetch whatever you want to. And uh, data can be also kind of pushed into uh, processes directly and so on. Uh, And data warehouse can be both kind of the analytical purposes or or kind of structuring and and doing some other stuff in there. But but I I think we we can come back to that because uh, I think um, moving now into where you are now, Solita, Mm -hmm. And uh, and a little bit you you highlight uh, what Solita is or which company this is. Um, I think a, a very interesting conversation to have today is, of course, uh, uh, you are experiencing and meeting a lot of different types of customers who are trying to go on a data journey. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that will be very interesting to understand how what are we what are you meeting or what are we meeting now in the enterprise what is the enterprise understanding of these different concepts uh, coming maybe from different application centric views on a warehouse is something else than than the other things and now we're talking about different pieces of a bigger puzzle as a mm-hmm. platform so let's go back to that but moving into that first i think uh, framing solita you know mm-hmm. because intensia and then i guess you you got an opportunity with solita yeah, there was a, a couple of steps in before between, that. In yeah, between. in between because yeah. uh, Solita, I started uh, at Solita three years ago, and I already moved to uh, Stockholm like fifteen years ago. So yeah, so there is <laughs> a couple here, of yeah, steps. Yeah, there is a couple of steps there yeah. uh, in between. But but Solita was totally unknown company for me uh, when they called me, and uh, and uh, it was really really nice story. There is this uh, recruitment ninja. Katikitti, <laughs> who called me and said, hi, uh, I'm from Solita. How are you doing? And I was like, what is Solita? <laughs> and who are you? What's that name? <laughs> yeah. And we started talking and uh, uh, and I met this fantastic Finnish company that was really kind of not professional in, in kind of making noise about themselves. Uh, some kind of a hybrid between a uh, uh, developer community uh, meeting a huge amount of data uh, professionals and kind of a gaming company meeting consultancy uh, hybrid that I have never seen in uh, in Sweden uh, before that day uh, and it was it was awesome I uh, we had plenty of discussions I was absolutely not going to change my job and so on so I, but where were you then when you I got was the at call the, yeah that I was point at, time yeah, you that uh, that point of time I was at the software company uh, I had been in the consultancies in between uh, and a software company where I was actually a CMO for for uh, for the uh, Palette software was that called and totally like. It was interesting, but it's uh, I have this passion for data, so, <laughs> so it was quite quite tempting then uh, the discussions with with Solita. But but for me, it was uh, this kind of realization that these guys are doing something in a different way. They are kind of uh, courageous enough to 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 kind of prove that the way that they are doing stuff is actually kind of creating an impact and and doing a difference uh, on a market even though it's a little bit kind of hard to understand maybe but yeah and when when did solita start in finland where's the origin of, of solita yeah solita is actually from tampere in yeah which is a little bit like a silicon valley nowadays in in uh, in finland there are these kind of uh, big cloud uh, companies like uh, cybercom and and uh, nordcloud and, and so on are from tampere also 
So a lot of uh, uh, a lot of that kinds of companies there, but uh, uh, Solita was founded already 25 years ago. Or which year is it now? I thought it was twenty <laughs> twenty. <2020. laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So twenty uh, five years ago, and uh, ever since they they have been like a uh, uh, developer uh, company from the beginning, a spin off from from Nokia, uh, mm-hmm. which was their first kind of big client, and there they also kind of bumped into huge uh, uh, amounts of data with the Chinese telecom companies and so on. So that's kind of in, in the DNA, this kind of approach to data and also kind of an opportunistic way of looking at the market and trying to find uh, new ways of, of uh, doing stuff and, and new tech and uh, just a little bit wild ideas. <laughs> yeah, because I think Solita has now come into the market and it's is now, I think, uh, in 2020, a known brand uh, in, in the IT consulting space in in Sweden. I think I remember the first time I met uh, Solita uh, was at the, one of the conferences. Uh, I was doing a round table moderation for, uh, this is the Solita table. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and then I got to talk to some very cool, uh, quite senior guys uh, or founding guys. I can't remember who, who it was, but yeah. was some, some of the, and they were cool. It was super cool. <laughs> yeah. I remember this. Yeah, and are, oh, a little bit different. Yeah, and and I think then you were like, uh, I, I guess like uh, six, seven hundred around six, two thousand and sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, and now is like what twelve or fifteen hundred? Yeah, twelve hundred now, and now we're actually at that time. So Solita actually had a company only in Finland. Yes. So we had only uh, the Finnish offices. Yes. Uh, and uh, and Sweden, and also simultaneously uh, Estonia was our first kind of uh, entries uh, abroad. And uh, we're now in six different countries. So we are yeah. <laughs> expanding really fast. And uh, uh, we founded the Solita AB, the Swedish company, uh, in 2018, in January. So uh, actually kind of our journey hasn't been that long, but now we're already 100. 25 people and growing, growing and growing. So it has been really an interesting and, and fast journey. Yeah. And, and now to ask a question then, uh, if I take Sweden and even even a, a, a even smaller dock pond of Stockholm, <laughs> uh, it's a quite uh, intense market when it comes to BI, data, data warehousing. And this industry is quite interesting because we have a lot of the older players. We have the big vendors has head offices here. We have some newer spin-offs, uh, um, smaller companies that are still working in the same space that, you know, Spark is a good example. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, you know, completely new kind of startup scene, very much data AI, hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, Peltorion is here, but yeah. but also consultancies who are sort of coming into this even more uh, machine learning. So mm-hmm. how, would you, uh, how would you describe the Swedish market and how would you describe... Uh, Solita's position and what you want to, you know, what what is your USP, unique selling point? Yeah. What's your story? Yeah, we have kind of a... When we came to the market, so of course, like in Finland, you have 25 years of history and people kind of know you and you have this kind of a broad variety of, of services that you provide to your customers and so on. You operate on the public and private sectors. And when we came to Sweden, so first we decided that our entry will be on the private sector, only focusing on cloud-based data platforms. And uh, uh, and we didn't talk about data warehousing. We don't talk about BI. No, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and what we are talking about is how to how to uh, help larger uh, enterprises and companies to become data driven for real, and and our approach is also combining different skill sets. So you have to have kind of a service and business design skill set 
to be understand how a human works. And how, and then you have to have different kinds of data competencies, of course, cloud infrastructure competencies. You have to integrate. You have to do APIs. You have to develop maybe some software and uh, and, and services. So um, so uh, combining all of these kind of aspects to the we have this kind of a nine piece uh, data driven puzzle uh, with all kinds of pieces in the puzzle that you have to figure out be- before you can become data driven. Uh, and actually kind of a, have data as an asset. That sounds like an interesting topic to, to get more into. Nine, <laughs> nine pieces of a puzzle, you said, yeah, to, to yeah. become data-driven. Could you give it like a quick intro? You know, what are the nine pieces? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a framework because usually when uh, somebody tells you that, okay, we, we need to become data-driven, we need to be better in serving our customers <laughs> or, or uh, more efficient in our processes and so on. So... Uh, it's a human nature that you start talk, uh, kind of uh, figuring out solutions. You go into the tech mm. piece <laughs> directly, mm. and oh yeah, we data lake, and yes. <laughs> data warehouse, and then we need this and that, and a little bit algorithms, and then mm. we need this app. Uh, but what is the most important and the toughest part, maybe, is to kind of define the strategy and what actually the data drivenness means for your company. What is the level? From a business point of view. Yes. What is kind of a, what is the, is it that you have awesome dashboards or is it that you inject kind of data in your daily processes and automate with AI machine learning? Mm-hmm. Or is it that you actually sell uh, database services or data? So it becomes your merchandise instead. So And then there is a lot of variation between these <laughs> different kinds of options. But, but just to kind of, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, just to kind of uh, uh, figure out that kind of first, and of course, it's it's a transformation. We we talk about data driven transformation. I'm big push on the transformation because it means so much. When you start to kind of treat data uh, as an asset, so it all of a sudden breaks down your old structures. Because that asset is important for everybody in the organization. So you can't have this hierarchical kind of businesses here, IT there, uh, these silos and, and levels. But it kind of brings the company uh, to kind of around one common topic. And it tends to break uh, break a little bit of the old rules. And there you have to also kind of keep in mind the different ways of working, processes, your kind of uh, organization skill sets. Uh, and all of that kind of supporting tech part is quite easy. There is fantastic solutions and you can put up whatever, uh, with the modern technology and the cloud. But, uh, but the most important thing is to think about what is, how are we going to, what is our kind of ambition in the data drivenness and then start to figure out, oh, okay, how are we going to make this happen? You get to go to the analytical ladder, but, uh, Have you heard about that concept, the mm-hmm. analytical ladder kind of thing? No, no. Um, Enlighten me. <laughs> so, I mean, like this. Yeah. Yeah. So Go for it. So there are, there are many different ways to describe uh, the journey to become sort of uh, data and AI driven. And, 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 and some of those concepts has been around for years. I think maybe uh, Gartner had, had, had a, had a storyline around this, but there are very many variations on it. But it goes a little bit something like... Um, Uh, first, you are, you know, we come from descriptive reporting, right? Mm. We're looking at the past and now we want to be, be uh, now we want to be diagnostic. Mm. And then we are moving towards uh, predictive and prescriptive. And then at the top of this ladder nowadays, um, oh, we can have AI, you know, 
and 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 uh, and it's interesting uh, because I think in the conversations we've had here, and this is why we want to talk to you about this, is that to some degree, yes, it, it's a fine analogy, but we also need to debunk some myths here because it, it's one way. I mean, like. We have been talking about the difference between advanced analytics and machine learning engineering, mm. as an example. Yeah. yeah. So hardcore, the, anal- the analytical ladder is sort of still is is going with the head, hat on that data is done for insights, right? Mm. And we are now, we are data scientists. It's more advanced analytics and different. We can use more fancy algorithms to create insights. Mm. Whilst if you're hardcore coming from a uh, that the machine learning is a new mm. coding paradigm. Yeah. Has you know you don't need an analytical ladder to start with neural networks if oh. you understand the problem and you solve the problem. Yeah. So that's a little bit the framing. So yeah. How do you see see this sort of? Uh, I, I think the analytical ladder, as you call it, it might be kind of a development of the of the different solutions. I would see that kind of a. I don't know if it's a maturity of a company. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I think because if you look at it, kind of a. a in a data-driven world, you might have all of those solutions, yes. or parts of those solutions. So I think that is kind of describing different kind of a, the evolution of technology more than than the maturity of yeah. the company. And and, and mm. I think this is the point, right? Because mm. it was used as a maturity concept, and yeah. it was used so a little bit like you first you need to do that, and then you need to do that. And I think that can tie back into maybe elaborate a little bit more about what you said. Uh, warehousing is just one of a data manipulation need you have in a data platform mm. with mother, many other needs. And if you start looking at the analytical ladder that, well, we have different data management scenarios. Exactly. It, it has no starting and end. It has the use case that needs a certain type of manipulation. Exactly. Exactly. It's like picking the right tool for the, <laughs> for the, for the method uh, for, the, for the job. Why, what does it, what makes the kind of use case? Come and, alive. And, <laughs> so, and if I yeah. if I tie it back now to a little bit how you describe Solita, mm-hmm. the way I understand the storyline, it's a little bit like let's not talk about that we are a BI company. Let's not talk about that we are advanced analytics or machine learning company. So it's more about the whole platform is here, and there are many different facets how we can use it. Yeah. And ultimately, we don't only need techy guys. We need to do create value. Exactly. Is that a- yeah, that's very good <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> and and what we have kind of uh, had as a, our punchline is actually we're the data company. That's yeah. what we say. Yeah. So that's our <laughs> yeah. kind of a positioning in on the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that's totally totally correct. So uh, the holistic view on 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 data and data drivenness, and it doesn't have to be. There are lots of different tools and methods, and uh, you name it. Uh, so. And you need all kinds of pieces. And that's only kind of, a, usually we just kind of a circle around the tech tech piece. And, <laughs> that's and, the easiest. And, yeah. and to now move, okay, so that's Solita, I think, and, and a little bit like that. Where, where's the state of the, you started on the private sector. So where is the state of the enterprise in understanding this? Where are they? How does their landscape look like today? And how, how does this resonate? Do they understand what you're talking about? Yes, it was funny because uh, 2017, when we started meeting the potential clients, so uh, they were very kind of uh, wowed by the by the reference cases from Finland, what we had already done. Uh, and they were like, oh my God, that would be awesome, but we are not even close to that. And there was very little talk about cloud 
uh, AWS had just started uh, in Sweden, and we had already then been working with AWS for uh, eight years. And you're comparing like Finnish to Swedish camp- yeah, couple yeah, companies. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, because we did only have reference cases from Finland, so mm-hmm. and and uh, and uh, and also kind of a. Uh, we started like the development, the programming in in uh, AWS cloud, and then they started pushing the kind of the data side <laughs> into the cloud and so on. So that's why we have been there for a long time, and and also Snow, uh, Snowflake, for example. So we have mm-hmm. we have been kind of working with Snowflake uh, many years before they they found themselves in in the Nordics. So that's a, that's a little bit awesome awesome thing as well. So we were the pioneers, and nobody understood. It felt like uh, at Diesel. When I was calling to the shops, so I was doing that again, and people are like, "Wow, and what I a story!" I, I can just imagine they were trying to pigeonhole you. Are you a BI company? Can you do Power BI? Are you a warehouse company, or are you are you a cloud company? Yeah. Is that it, right? The, exactly okay. so. Exactly so. And they were like, "Would you uh, be able to do uh, AI POC?" Because that was <laughs> that was cool cool thing to do then. And we're like, yeah, but uh, we maybe uh, should be starting like thinking about your core business and that. And uh, it was like a, a little bit of mismatch there how to how to communicate and and discuss. But we had the kind of a the strong belief that the kind of the cloud era is coming. Uh, not cloud era, but cloud, <laughs> cloud era. This era. <laughs> <laughs> cloud era was so already gone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, but, so, but speaking uh, about Finland, I think that they are a good role model in, in many senses, uh, especially, you know, I think they ordered in 2017 had like a national strategy for AI and then Sweden and Germany and, and uh, France and, uh, and Great Britain came in 2018 and they started to do things. But Finland was one of the first, I think. And and they also have these kind of new initiatives. I'm sure if you heard about these kind of new big uh, HPC centers in Finland, the Lumi kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really impressive what they are trying to do. Yeah. But given that you have now been in Sweden for, you know, and driving Solita here in Sweden for for some time, mm. how would you compare like the the level of AI or data readiness in Sweden to Finland? I think uh, the kind of a uh, I think there is a kind of uh, let's let's uh, do a comparison here about kind of the uh how Finns and Swedes make decisions and how we are. And I have to quote first my, my fantastic colleague, Pekka Ahola, who is, mm-hmm. <laughs> who is uh, working here in, in Sweden. And he described that in each uh, Finn, there lives a little engineer. Not <laughs> 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 <But> in Sweden? <laughs> Not in Sweden. <laughs> he hasn't identified that really yet, <laughs> but, but that was a, a funny description of the, of the kind of a, Kind of the everything tech is really interesting and, and engineering is really kind of a... I have always said that if we would combine these countries, Finland and Sweden, Sweden is awesome in selling, marketing, uh, describing and so on. Finns maybe not that much, but they are really good in tech and they are really good engineers. So we have like the front office and the back office. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that would be an awesome combination. So you think it's even down to a culture, you know, grain here, like like part of the Finnish gene? Yes, and I think it comes <laughs> down to the kind of way of uh, of uh, making decisions because in Finland, uh, as a manager, you can just make a decision right there and then. And that was also a surprising thing when when my colleagues came to Sweden. And they were like, oh, this meeting went really well. We're ready to sign. I was like, Oof. <laughs> you have like six months ahead of you. <laughs> it was just an opening meeting. And uh, because in Finland, they, it is the culture that as a, as a manager, you are 
you should be able to make a decision be, without involving people at that point. And then the implementation happens and then you start the change management <laughs> part <laughs> and, and kind of convincing a bit more people. Yeah. Maybe the kind of the whole implementation and the people have accepted the solution is actually as long a mm-hmm. uh, time period as it's in Sweden. But in Sweden we include a lot of people in the mm-hmm. decision process, which I uh, have I'm both Swede and a Finn, <laughs> both both nationalities. So I really love that way because then you kind of have already kind of tested the idea with people before you start implementing and it's a lot easier it's a kind of a, to have the engagement from the beginning and you also test your own so points you of view that's what you say in Swedish yes yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's but kind of the we yeah. use that word anchoring uh, or some, but it doesn't even frankra is a Swedish word do we have a real English word for that I don't know it's yeah. part of a consensus decision making culture that word exactly yeah mm-hmm. and we were just working actually with the different kind of decision making your personas Fika decision making, Franka. Yeah, and we were working with our kind of uh, decision maker personas to try to understand them. And we have our colleague from Germany running those workshops, and she had like a, a, a decision making process that they have identified or the kind of buyer's journey uh, mapped out from Germany. <laughs> is there something that you would like to like uh, to change? And we're like, our process is not linear. <laughs> it is. It goes back and forth, and there is a lot of loops. <laughs> <laughs> and and hoops <laughs> it goes here and there and there are a lot of people involved so yeah so it's a little bit kind of a different way of approaching but i think that the discussions have been done now in sweden so the kind of the acceleration of cloud and the data platforms and the level of discussion in the enterprises now that we're having is fantastic so so kind of these two years maybe a lot happened in two years yes a lot of discussion and now mm. it's it's time to act and and implement and and do and and also kind of the cloud and the solutions have also kind of developed during this time so we really have a fantastic starting point what do you mean the cloud solution have developed because i, I think one core issue that to mm. have i think mm. in general in the world is that the The big tech giants of the world are mm. the cloud providers, and they are leading with such a big margin mm. that it's almost dangerous for for Europe, Sweden, Finland, and and a lot of countries. Would you agree with that? Or yeah, but that's that's true because we have like these giants. We don't have yeah. the uh, Alibaba cloud no, exactly. <laughs> yet, uh, but uh, uh, but anyhow, so there there is kind of these giants, and yeah. I, I have been really concerned about not having a European cloud. Yeah. Uh, really, a cloud provider, um, yeah, and the kind of uh, what I'm aiming at is maybe the services that are available <coughs> in the cloud. Yeah. So there is so much you can do compared because the like development, on top yeah, of the normal exactly, kind of, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but it would be nice to have a little bit more competition on the yeah. on the cloud provider side, and I. We'll see what happens, by because it, it is a little bit scary. Yeah. yeah, I think always when there is just a few big ones steering, so it's it becomes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Spooky. Mm-hmm. And now the, the enterprise is okay, ready to move and go into cloud. Where are they moving? What what part of the platform are they now really sinking their teeth in? Oh, in it's general, a, yeah. is it, can, or maybe it's different. I it's very know. different. We uh, discussed with one uh, very very large uh, company here, and they were asking how to how to start their cloud journey and. And and where to? What is our kind of advice? And we have like these seven steps uh, or seven different 
<laughs> options that we have been trying to kind of generalize and, and map out. And actually, you can start with everything in the same time, <laughs> depending the use case. And you have to always have the use case. You have to have something that is of value. You can, of course, do a cloud migration and just bump up all, everything that you have from on-prem to, to the cloud. Uh, it maybe adds some value. Maybe I get some cost savings or so on. It can be a use case in itself, or then it's, uh, uh, then it's some kind of a new solution, or then it's some parts of data or whatever. So it's, it's very different approaches that uh, companies take, but it's kind of what is the most critical critical thing to do first. But more and more, I think the kind of um, uh, the discussions are around creating value, either to kind of customers or, or to the company. And that's kind of getting more and more kind of a, as a discussion topic, more than just kind of cost saving by, by moving stuff to cloud. And who do you talk to when it comes to the cloud journey and, and doing this? Is it to IT or is it to something, some, is it to a chief data officer or how does it yeah. look like right yeah, now? Yeah, it's a... It's Who's a, having the conversation? Yeah, the uh, chief data officer is, of course, our, our kind of a very close friend. <laughs> and of course, there is a, usually a kind of an IT department uh, involved in those discussions, but very kind of a... We have meetings where we have 25 people joining from companies and so on. So there is a, uh, uh, there is a lot of kind of... a and and now we are kind of coming into that point that somebody actually owns this <laughs> this uh, topic because usually it has been kind of some kind of a sea level decision that we will become data driven and then there has been somebody who is called business IT who tries to <laughs> figure this one out and it's it's really hard hard role but now they kind of gather a forum of different aspects and people around the same table to make the decisions and so on. So that there is a, a lot of kind of uh, participation. So, so is this some, is this actually some sort of a, a critical success factor or prerequisite to do this well? That if, if you, I mean, like I, I'm, hint, hint, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from that. If, if you, if you have an IT department running the cloud journey, it, it very fast becomes a tech discussion and infra discussion and, and, and actually the value, what are we going to use it for? What's the use case in, 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 in to be a little bit um, rude? It's not always IT has a clue on what the business value is, uh, yeah. cost or data center efficiency. Yes, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in, in order to drive a new use case, uh, they yeah. kind of need to be a use case owner. Yes, you have to have like a mix of skills and views and so on. And, and, and the business and IT need to kind of work together because if we just do it for the kind of uh, as an IT solution, so you just, you might as well do uh, like a data warehouse on uh, the old SQL server. So, <laughs> so, so, so what you hi highlight now yeah. it, with Swedish type of decision making, mm. uh, consensus decision making, yeah. and in, in order to basically now do this properly, uh, if you haven't already fixed your organizational mandates, uh, having a boss of it all, it became it becomes for us. It becomes a, a team of decision makers for different angles yeah. to, to be able to cope with the mandate, I guess, and cope yeah. with the understanding. Yeah, and it's also kind of the it's our our also kind of a, our duty uh, in the meetings if there is kind of a 
IT comes to us and said, we need to go to cloud or whatever. So we need to kind of say, okay, but maybe you, to the next meeting, you take this person with you and that person. So also to kind of guide from the very beginning yes. how to think uh, so that we get it right uh, from the beginning because we want to, to create impact and positive, positive yeah. impact. So, <laughs> but, so that's, yeah. so to, to, do you actually now think like you have a, like a prerequisite? So when you go into these first meetings, someone comes to you, to you and say, oh, we, got, we need to get started. How do we get started? Do you talk about the prerequisites like this then? Or, or yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's our kind of a uh, theory that you are not going to kind of succeed if you're going to do this from only from business view or only from tech view uh, without kind of the pieces of the puzzle uh, thought out. So it's it's kind of our approach, and and because we have been doing this for such a long time, and we have seen so many co- customer cases also, and we have made mistakes, and that's where it comes from. I think that's really interesting to th- think about mistakes and, yes. and to think about challenges, and to think you know if you um, as a company as Insulita <coughs> want to help a company to become more data driven, what are the common pitfalls? What are the common mistakes that companies do that you have seen so far? Yeah, well. Of course, these are kind of pitfalls is exactly what we were talking about, that you take the IT, mm. IT approach only, and then you create something, you you can implement whatever, a fantastic like reference architecture somewhere. A <laughs> small prototype or something, yeah, and, and exactly. you, it never and moves into production in no. some way. Mm. Yeah, and then it's a... Uh, prototype, uh, sh- what we call it, church, Gra- graveyard. The prototype graveyard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then, uh, then I think also this kind of a lift and shift uh, without rethinking is one pitfall. Yeah, who, who invented the lift and shift? Uh, I, I want to club someone every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, it must be a management consultant who came up with that, who doesn't know tech. <laughs> no, just thought this is easy. But lift and shift, <laughs> yeah. that, because that word came up two or three years ago, yeah. and then and then it was everywhere. And if you, if you ever, by the way, decommission a warehouse or move mm-hmm. the warehouse, not the only talking data platform, you know that will never work. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but it's interesting. Who came? Where did that come from? I don't know. I not from Solita, at least. So. <laughs> <laughs> because I, th- you have had that conversation with several clients. I'm sure yeah. I've heard it several mm. times. Yeah. Been involved in that and walked away from it. Mm. Yeah. So, what's the problem with lift and shift? Well, lift and shift is that you actually kind of when you when you. What move, is it? We yeah. st- let's start with that. What yeah, do we mean lift, with lift and yeah, shift? Lift and shift. So. As I understand it, is to take your on-premise solutions, the old kind of legacy systems or whatever, and, and pop them up to the cloud uh, without they, doing any changes. So it's a little bit, if you have a rat nest uh, on-prem, you take your rat nest and you shift it and put your rat nest on the cloud. Yes, exactly. So nothing nothing changes except that you're now in, in the cloud. And, uh, yeah. and what's the value of that? Yeah, 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 you tell me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's lift and shift. Yeah, and I <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I, and, and, maybe but, maybe but there is some kind of a if you is have it, is it, it yeah. why why because this has been such a big word in the big enterprises. Yeah. Is it some sort of running by fear that we are behind? So now we simply we should have done this five years ago, but now we don't have time to think. So now we do lift and shift. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I've heard those conversations. Yeah, I think in really so, really yeah. big uh, Swedish nice corporations. Yeah. Yeah, and it can be that, that we just need to move 
we just need to get to the cloud and that's some kind of a kind of fast fast solution and of course if you have like the server holes from hell and uh, and uh, a lot of kind of maintenance and this and that so maybe you can calculate some kind of cost benefits for for data you, this is a data center business case in that case i yeah, guess yeah yeah i have to uh, disagree a bit here i think <laughs> oh, oh, and uh, nice. take a bit challenging uh, <laughs> nice. or at least you know play the devil's advocate in some way and and i can speak from some experience from spotify and, and other companies but there is a problem with of course managing things that is not the core business that you're dealing with Is your core business to change hard drives? Mm. Is it your core business to upgrade operating systems and fix, you know, security problems that you have? Is your core business to make sure that the application can scale and and handle, for example, horizontal, uh, automatic or horizontal scaling uh, when a load ch- change? Is your problem to, to to really try to buy computers that you have to cope with the peaks, but not with the average use case? Is there some value in having a more flexible kind of cloud solution that may be able to adapt to the situation and increase and reduce the scale as necessary? Don't you see any value in that? No, no. I, I, I think this lift and shift. What, what? Because I, mm. and now I talk for you. Maybe you should answer it. <laughs> But I'm really passionate because yeah, yeah, it pisses yeah. me off, right? <laughs> of course, we want to shift and lift the game to cloud, right? We want mm. to migrate to cloud. But to think it's even decoded in the same way, or, you know, take the, an old code base, which is set up for some sort of mm. setup, and then think it will even run properly? No. And then at the same time, maybe if you had an old warehouse structure here, and now you have beautiful technology in cloud, maybe you should rethink the fundamental data strategy at the same time. So so lift and shift, uh, the whole uh, where we come into now, mm. of, is, is about the method and the strategy when mm. you move to cloud is not that simple. Mm. Is, is someone simplified this too far? Mm. Uh, so that's the argument with lifting, to go to cloud, of course. Yeah. Uh, the fundamental logic that you highlight, of course, but how, how, can you really do a lift and shift? Does that exist? I don't think it exists. In, if, if you if you look into the tech, I mean like a classic uh, example, you're on a Cloudera setup, Uh, Horton moving yeah. into Cladera and now moving. Or, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't really voluntary. I don't think. Uh, okay. But the, but the example now is is like talking uh, the vendor is marketing. Mm. You know, okay, now we have Cladera CDP 7.2. So now we can uh, now you can seamlessly move it and and run it uh, on um, on cloud, whichever cloud you want. You only need to read you know, two layers down and say, oh, it's, it's a different code base, it's a different setup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the migration story is, is not the lift and shift, even mm-hmm. if you would love it to be. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm a little bit, I want to challenge when everyone says lift and shift. Hmm. Migrate, yes. Mm-hmm. Move, yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lift and shift, it's, it's, it dummifies something that yeah, is it's, quite it's complex. Too, yeah, it's too simplified. It sounds like that it will be easy peasy and, and really fast. And usually you kind of end up yeah. in, in, in not so at all. If we, if we <laughs> shift the argument and say, you know, that there are certainly mm-hmm. a lot of bad ways to move to the cloud and mm-hmm. migrate to the cloud. Mm-hmm. No question. And, and yeah, I've seen and done myself a number of bad things in that way. <laughs> um, Especially in just moving the cloud to a virtual computer and think that's it. And now it's just cloud-based. Yeah. Obviously really bad. Mm. 
But if you were to do it the proper way, you know, if you were to to really think, you know, this is the awesome way, or if you have some example, perhaps some company that mm. you have helped migrate into the cloud um, and you're really proud of, what, what what would you say the best way or some example of a good use case for migrating to the cloud would be? Yeah, there are, there are of course like plenty of ways of of, of doing that, and, and but I think that kind of the main point, for example, is that you start uh, from something that is very core of your business because mm. you are you're starting a transformation and you want to create an impact. And if you start with, uh, as we talked about, some kind of a idea or POC with mm. some super innovation that doesn't have anything with your core business to do, so you are not kind of the first steps to to cloud is not. It's not going to create any real impact, real mm. impact or real value for your business. So, kind of being courageous enough to to do something for, to kind of move something in your very core, and that's mm. kind of the scary part because yeah. we we don't Everyone have change. Everyone is scared about changing. Yeah, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the kind of the to be uh, to be there in the core to take something that you know that is valuable but can be even more valuable inside and and start to thinking in a, in a different way because that's a, that's also the kind of clouds uh, benefit is that you actually get to do stuff that wasn't possible to do before mm-hmm. so uh, so therefore we should kind of uh, uh, come away from these things we have always done this way Mm. And this is how it works. First, I have heard first principle so. thinking. First pri- yeah. <laughs> so, have you heard about first principle thinking? No, but this is really fun. I learn a lot today. Uh, all <laughs> kinds of theories. So please. Well, <laughs> uh, so, it's obvious when you, when you talk to a lot of uh, people, we all have our different references, and then all of a sudden we 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 go, go into a reference that oh. We all been fascinated by something on different angles, and oh, first principle is super cool. But this this story really talks about a fascination around Elon Musk, mm-hmm. and you know how Elon Musk, is, uh, you know, has his entrepreneurship, and at the core of this, one of the ideas that he highlights is uh, first principle, which is essentially uh, a philosophical um, uh, idea from the beginning, mm-hmm. and but then then taken up on understanding it from a business context or an engineering context. Mm-hmm. So we've been quite fascinated and. Um, uh, and using first principle as a way to understand what does it really mean to be de- become data driven mm. is a little bit like, well, if you have an analog process mm. and you computerize on top of that, will that have a 10x effect on, on your value or what, mm. what, what this is all about? First principle means going back to the fundamental core, understanding what your fundamental core is, and then, you know, thinking in a completely different way. Yeah. And and we have had this conversation when we ask people what we mean with this, and someone, and some some people has up or ends up in the corner, the business perspective of first principle. So what's the core of your business, right? Uh, IBM, uh, Patrick Couch, are the informa- information processing at the core of IBM, right? Yeah. And 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 then understanding that you can then rethink your business. And then, of course, Elon Musk has the whole engineering perspective. Both, I would say. I have both actually. <laughs> And what's the engineering perspective, Anders? Yeah, I mean, I think you actually phrased it well, even though you didn't understand you were speaking about first principles. <laughs> but, but the dear to challenge the way things are done in the usual way. Yeah. And um, yeah, the classical example from Elon Musk is like uh, you can speak about Tesla or yeah, SpaceX or Solar City or what not, what not. But uh, I think the easiest way to talk about this is um, SpaceX and you know mm. rockets. Okay, yeah. let's. Build things that goes into space, 
And the way it's done today is you launch something into space and then you crash it. And that's like many hundreds of millions of dollars that you just smash in the ground. And does it really have to be that way? Can you rethink it? Can you dare to challenge the way it's usually done and actually think, hmm, is there some core physical principles that we can think about to solve this? And perhaps rethink the whole idea and start to have reusable rockets. Mm. Well, it seems to be possible. And suddenly they have Starlink and sending 42,000 satellites into space. Crazy thing. So just, you know, rethinking the ways uh, things are done in in the usual way Mm. and being, you know, having the courage to do so is one of the core concepts of first principle thinkings. Yeah. That's that's nice that I actually <laughs> talk talk about it without knowing. But no, but we all we, the, the why I like yeah. first principle is because yeah. I've been th- talking about that and mm. trying to under- get people to understand that th- this is not really reinventing uh, the mm. core idea. Mm. It's is putting something on top of an analog idea. Yeah. So I've been using this without. Mm. So first principle I picked up. Yeah, actually through you, uh, mm. you know. Yeah. And I love it. I, I, I yeah, just love yeah. it as a way to explain, yeah. a, as a metaphor, you know, yeah. what this, this is really all about. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's kind of the, the puzzle <laughs> that we were kind yeah. of talking about yeah. before. So that kind of, uh, kind of uh, helps in structuring this whole kind of uh, uh, thinking, mm. challenging, uh, thinking what, what is this data-drivenness and how does it affect our business in, from mm. different angles and what do we need for kind of prepare this kind of change and so, so on. So just to close the discussion about, you know, what the challenges are to to migrate and move to the cloud and become mm. more data-driven, uh, I guess you have the nine pieces and, and that perhaps is uh, like an overview of the challenges are or can, can you think about other ways to just in as concise way you can think of describe the top challenges? Yeah, the top challenges is actually to do something beside not be courageous enough to 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 go into the core yeah. uh, uh, and uh, the other challenge is to keep you you away from the tech corner as as long as possible and to think around how this is going to impact in this and that mm. and also to kind of uh, to keep it very simple usually uh, mm. you should kind of uh, not overthink it because usually we get kind of carried away also because the change and the impact can be huge just with a very simple solutions as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually the case. So when you overthink and overcomplicate stuff, so you end up with a smaller value and a mm. lot of money spent on uh, on developing something. So start small, it doesn't have to be perfect and then you just kind of iterate it forward. So agile thinking again. And how, how have you, ex- how, what is your view on this sort of uh, one fundamental challenge that is talked about quite a lot, data literacy, or the challenge that we don't have everyone in the same room at all speaking the same language or having a, even a reference point Typically, yeah. then you have business, if, if I go to a more traditional business, they are a, fantastic in their domain, but they have no reference point at all to what we are talking about. IT might have some sort of reference point, but they don't understand the business. So we have this translation problem. Yeah. So how do you see that part yeah, of the challenge? But that's, that's totally totally correct. And and, uh, and we usually also have this kind of, a, uh, we have companies who see that the data is something for the IT department and the nerds in the, in the basement. So... <laughs> and and there you're kind of that is the data maturity i think how 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 does your kind of company pers- kind of um, uh, how do you say 
preserve or I don't know how to say that, but how, how they see the data. To, to yeah. seeing data as an asset is, I think you had that as one yeah. of your cornerstones here. That is, yeah, that's super But it's quite, yeah. quite interesting because yeah. as soon as you start looking at it as an asset, you kind of understand that you have the, you want processes to, to manage and maximize the value of your assets. Yeah. So I think that's an, in, in, that's, that's a quite easy indicator of maturity. Yes. And, and that is kind of the, the maturity level where yeah. you want to be when everybody mm. perceives that as an asset, because then you also get the engagement. Everybody gets interested mm. if you put money on the table. So there is not kind of a <laughs> lot left after a while. But if you put kind of a, in an immature, immature company, you put the data on the table. Table, so there, are, uh, there is no owner of that, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, if you come up to that thinking that, oh my goodness, what all we can do with this data. So then we come to this kind of what I mentioned also, this kind of data trading, when all of the kind of uh, different parts of the organization start to kind of understand what kind of value they're sitting with, you know, oh, should I put it into the enterprise data lake so that everybody else gets a part of that? But what do I get in exchange? So then you start <laughs> data trading. <laughs> and that's that's in, where that's the interesting, interesting. stuff uh, starts to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and I know that you have a passion for also like diversity and biases and data and, and things like that. And, and let's try to go to that topic I think soon. We, could, but, we can go there now, I think. Or maybe wrap this just up. Just one small question before that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, moving to the cloud is... Uh, of course, very beneficial from many points of view. It can be economically very uh, beneficial. It can be that you can move faster and develop your products in a more efficient way and simply focus on the core business problem you have. And you know, having not having to change hard drives is simply yeah. nice <laughs> to avoid having to do. But there are problems as well. Mm. And uh, one problem is that you could have like data safety problems, mm -hmm. or you could have data like integrity problems. When, if you move all data to American or Chinese companies, is that something you want to do all the time? Um, and then the alternative, you have to think about, okay, well, then I have to manage everything ourselves, and that's not easy either. <laughs> What's your thinking here? Um, is there situations where, let's take a medical use case or something, uh, some company that have patient journal text or something, and... <laughs> Is is there a situation where you think, you know, this is actually not a good time to move to the cloud or at least not for the big American or Chinese companies? Yeah, it's a, uh, I think kind of a, uh, from the principal point of view, so we preserve uh, cloud as safe as, as uh, uh, on-prem because mm -hmm. you can break into <laughs> either one, I guess. And, and uh, but I liked it a lot. We had this uh, big uh, kind of um, digital events meeting point, Solitaire Range, last week, and we had Telia talking there about kind of the movement data. And I think uh, uh, that kind of thinking that you can actually do, uh, um, so I'm going to say shitload of <laughs> stuff. It's okay. With it's the, an after work. After work, come on, <laughs> please. <laughs> it's not an American program, so that's oh, good. No. Okay. <laughs> So uh, anyhow, so you can do a lot of uh, cool stuff with aggregated and anonymized uh, data as well. So you don't have to put all the details in the cloud. So you, of course, you have to kind of carefully consider what to put in the cloud. And that's mm -hmm. also kind of the discussion that we have with our kind of larger mm -hmm. uh, customers from financial sector or, or, uh, or yeah, medical sector, as you mentioned. So what is kind of a what data is okay to 
have mm. in the in the cloud and in what format. And, and let me ask you, I'm not mm. sure how involved you are in these kind of discussions. Uh, mm. I'm unfortunately a bit involved in, like, should we build like a Swedish infrastructure or a Finnish infrastructure or European infrastructure for data and AI? Mm. Or, you know, or should we simply rely on the big uh, cloud providers? Mm. And... Um, And then people think, yeah, of course, we, we want to f- be able to have our own. And I think we, we all agree that there's a big leap, AI divide between the tech giants and the rest of the world. <laughs> But then the alternative, you know, we had a number of disasters in Swedish, like authorities. Then they had data leaks and problems where you know, very sensitive data had yeah. been leaked. And, and of course, if you think that the alternative is that you have to manage everything ourselves, mm. I think that you can have the same level of security like super, you know, big tech giants have. That's mm-hmm. also questionable. So this is a very tricky thing f- for me, at least. What's yeah. your thinking here? You know, sh- should we, h- how can we be less dependent on, on the tech giants, but still have the security that we want to have? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, what we are looking at uh, with our clients many times is kind of some kind of hybrid mm-hmm. <laughs> architecture. And, and there is very few of our clients that choose just one cloud. Mm-hmm. So they usually have like multiple clouds that they're yeah. relying on just mm-hmm. in case. Mm-hmm. And then some something on-prem as well. So yeah. so it's a, it's a hybrid uh, environment at the moment. And that's a really... Uh, Hard thing to kind of because there is a positives and negatives in in yeah, both uh, exactly. these scenarios, and it's really hard to kind of say that okay, but why would European cloud cloud be uh, that much better? Exactly. And uh, and then there is a lot of differences in the cloud maturity comparing kind of with the history background, for example, Germany. Mm. They don't even want to use credit cards, so mm. it's a because they're kind of a storage of personal data is, and then in Finland they're totally crazy about the cloud and everything is up there so <laughs> so it's like a kind of a, also the feeling of security somehow in uh, individuals mm. but I a very valid kind of a, a consideration and I think we kind of need to have this debate it's really really important that we kind of uh, have it up uh, to discussion at least to mm. to be aware of uh, how to build kind of a secure Uh, uh, cloud solutions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Tough problem. It is a tough. Sorry, well, I couldn't provide you any. No, no, but better but I, I, solution I, I, for that. <laughs> I, let, let's end that note with uh, with uh, almost quoting uh, Robert Luciani. Let's solve the issues and security issues with more tech. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, there are even if we have it in American setups, you, we can morph. The, we can do many many things to basically have our own, bring your own keys, and do many things that. If you want to, uh, it should be f- even fairly safe in this way. I mean, like, so, so there, there is instead of, yeah. So using tech also to figure this stuff out. It's fun to hear you promote tech. I know I love that. You're indoctrinating me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> But should we move into a, a yeah. new theme? I think yeah. you had one going there. Yes. So I, I think this is actually a very interesting topic for me as well. And we, we speak a lot about this in Peltoran as well. And, and speaking about diversity and mm-hmm. biases that do exist in data. And if we start to become more data-driven, it's easy to just you know, increase and even reinforce sometimes the biases that, that we have historically. Um, so perhaps you can... I know you're engaged in a number of initiatives here. Perhaps you can just start by giving some uh, background for you know what type of initiatives you are working with 
yeah. uh, this kind of service. Yeah, mainly I, I got in touch with the female engineer network here in Sweden and the engineers job uh, where I now sit in the in the board as well and uh, and started to talk about kind of the inclusion and and what is actually kind of a uh, equality. Mm. And I, I am a strong believer that equality is a, on an individual basis because uh, you can always set up different kind of groupings. So and you compare. mean it's a subjective way or what, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, but it kind of a, that we are all kind of individuals. We have yeah. our own different kinds of dimensions and usually equality is very much kind of a, a discussed among like men and women, which mm. is, of course, it does exist uh, mm. unequality there, there yeah, between those groupings. But so there is kind of a lot of... Uh, inequality in <laughs> between different yeah. different dimensions so we can pick out whatever dimension and start comparing but i think we have to start appreciating the individuals and and um uh, and and my biggest concern is the kind of uh, uh maybe lack of female and and that we we have like the uh, uh that are the people who are now building kind of in this technological revolution or whatever we're in in the midst of so that we have the kind of a possibility to build a totally new kind of society with with new structures and rules because we are very much kind of a we want to do stuff in a different way but like in any company who is doing the transformation so we are also kind of a uh, kind of a prohibited by the old structures that has been built And even though you would like to do it in a different way, so the structures are still there. And and as you say and mentioned, so it's so easy now to kind of uh, build based on the old structures because it's a it's a, it's a hard job to change that. Mm. And and when we have like an uh, kind of technology community that there is a, a majority of uh, of men and uh, and uh, uh, maybe. Maybe in in some companies even kind of very in the same age groups and and from the same background and so on. So it's impossible to build uh, solutions that take in consideration how the actual society looks like mm. and taking in the different points of view. And that I think is really concerning. Uh, for example, there was uh, like at Google, there was like ten uh, percent of uh, AI specialists are are women. Uh, yeah. And how do you then build like AI solutions that reflect? Society, society, and uh, yeah, and that's just one kind of again one point mm. of view to the equality question. <clears throat> Let me take the the other you know side of the discussion a bit, uh, just to, to have uh, yeah both sides of the coin because yeah. because it's easy to to also jump into the the, the ethical bandwagon wagon mm. if you say so and, and mm. just say you know it's so dangerous with being data driven, but. You could also think it's dangerous to be human-driven, mm-hmm. um, in the sense it's kind of hard to know. Let's take a concrete example. Let's take recruitment or something. Yes. And we, we know the the kind of horrible example from Amazon and, and yeah. their type of way to automate that. But mm-hmm. uh, still, if we have humans that drives recruitment, for example, how, how do we know or avoid like biases in that case? Yeah. Isn't it even harder to detect that potentially if it's human-driven compared to data-driven, or or what's your thinking there? Yeah, but I th- I think also in the recruitment process, so you should also kind of uh, in the recruitment process you should have like a kind of reflection of <laughs> of different backgrounds and ages and so on mm. participating in the recruitment mm. of a person, yeah. so that we kind of that candidate is also looked from. But it's hard to have angles. a super junior per- 
people like involved perhaps in recruitment process. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And then uh, what we actually also do, so we have these trainings of getting rid of biases or, or identifying your own biases. Mm. And then of course you can watch the CVs, for example, so yeah. that you don't have gender, you don't have pictures, you don't have names and so oh. on, just to get a kind of a unopinionated view on mm. things. And then, of course, for us, for example, so we are very much kind of uh, striving for kind of having this kind of a uh, structure in our company. We're absolutely not there yet, mm. but this is like our ambition. And, and it's more like, okay, we want to have more uh, of uh, kind of different kinds of backgrounds and so on. And it's really driving force in the, in the recruitment as well. Mm. And we can't stop the recruitment process before our kind of the funnel mm. looks like the society looks like. So we can't just kind of okay, we've we got try to have this side, that distribution yeah. basically that yeah, side a little bit have, kind of yes. so it, it kind of reflects yeah. because then you, you have to work harder and we are working also with the kind of the identifying the personas and where uh, different kinds of people are mm. where are they uh, when do they surf and look at the kind of a job ads and this and that so we're mm. trying to really kind of pinpoint different kinds of personas and how to reach out to them because the communication has to be also kind of a little bit so different. bringing on the point that henrik mentioned and perhaps you know what robert mm. previously said as well do you think tech can be a tool to guide diversity or to yeah it can be both it. it can be both because of course like people who build in <laughs> algorithms and so on so we're mm. people and 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 then it's of course of course of the data sets and and how we kind of train the algorithms to mm. how it's like our children so they become what we teach them it's a new children <laughs> yeah. the, the algorithm is the new ch- Children, yeah, uh, in it this is, way, yeah. and, and uh, yeah. they are they are flawed. Like the the creators are flawed. Mm. Yeah, but I, I I think it's it's again like the combination that we truly believe in. Also, is like the combination of human insight and tech. Yes. So uh, you have to have that because what is kind of a what is the strength of a human is empathy uh, and uh, and the kind of the the caring. Mm. Then you can have algorithms. They might not have. The empathy, not yet, at least I haven't seen. <laughs> and, and I think this this resonates also with a, a theme that, even back to lo- talking to Louise Callenberg at, mm. at SKR, that the, you know this whole idea that these pitting humans against AI or they, you know, it, that's it. The the, the future mm. is clearly a, uh, a a cyborg. I almost said like, but <laughs> but the, the ultimate value will come from the them interacting together and playing to their strength. Exactly. I'm so happy that you say that. And now I just re- kind of remember a couple of years ago, I was at one conference and there was a lot of this topic, oh, are the machines against people and uh, or human and what? so tired. And I, I was totally bored in that conference and I wrote to my mentor that this is total bullshit. <laughs> that is, why can't we just see this as a possibility to enhance like our capability of making good choices uh, and and uh, somewhere in my well, like but, your but, uh, cy- cyborg thing. Yeah, but it, but yeah. to me it's a little bit like the conversation came in in one way, yeah. and then and then it was even the ethical discussion become hyped. Yes, and all of a sudden um, I, I went. I, I think this is a little bit. <laughs> it's like you can almost find find the year. Where, where, where's the hyped word? We have this joke, right? You now, now we talk about I don't know. We, we digitalization, uh, digital transformation, and then it was uh, big data. You know, oh, yeah. and and then so ethical AI was even a hype word to me in 2019. And I'm not meaning it as that it's not important. 
but the conversation almost went to the point where where people wanted to pit this conversation one against another. And I rhetorically understand it in terms of uh, highlighting the dangers and understanding the you know bias. Also, it so so essentially it's good, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not so useful as what you can do with it if you start trying to understand, okay, we think this should work together, mm. number one principle. Mm. Uh, we think we should play to our strengths and their strengths. Yeah. And then what is their strengths? What is our strengths? What are their weaknesses? And now I think the whole ethical debate comes to a much more sophisticated level if mm. you if you if you lift it a little bit and not pol- I mean, the, the polarization type yeah. discussion, I, I think is not helping. No, well, usually I mean, it isn't. Usually it isn't. <laughs> no, whatever topic, actually. So, <laughs> if, we, if we try to make the discussion a bit more concrete as well, and, and say <laughs> let's keep to the recruitment topic yeah. and say that okay, we, we can think about different ways to think. In five years, I want recruitment to work like this, mm-hmm. and you can say okay, I want recruitment to be completely data only, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, where I can say I want the uh, re- recruitment to be completely human only. Or you want it to be cyborg only, or <laughs> uh, however you should phrase it. Perhaps uh, I'm, I'm thinking more. You know, one of the terms used, in, at least in the EU context, is human-centric AI, mm-hmm. saying basically it's still the human in control, mm-hmm. but you basically use data and AI as a tool to augment what the humans can do. Mm-hmm. Is is this uh, sorry for a leading question here, but <laughs> is is this uh, you know a good way to phrase it? You think you know in five years I'd like to have like a human in control, but with AI and data as a augmentation. That's the preferred like recruitment process in the future. I would like to see it more as a seamless co- cooperation. Uh, than somebody in uh, total control all the time because we are not the best controllers. <laughs> you <laughs> must <we> know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nope. But, yeah. but uh, yeah. let's let's actually try to be concrete and and see if we can do a vision around yeah. this. Mm-hmm. I mean, like let's let's make this as a, as a use case. Mm-hmm. We we have AI centric uh, five years ahead, uh, and and then if if you break down the 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 user journey of a recruiter, right, and you understand the data points and you don't understand the different tasks. There's so much, I mean, like, and, and then not being picky if it's machine learning or deep learning or simply data, right? Mm. If you look at that, there, there is a huge task of, uh, uh, you know, search, right? Mm. So how can we do world-class search in one way, right? Uh, and, then you, and then you have sort, <laughs> mm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, uh, prioritizing. And, th- and then, you, so you get to a point where you can basically do a lot of things where where which is in my opinion automation and mechanical yeah. and where you you know if you do uh, you talk to a machine that spits out the perfect list of candidates across the globe you know, it, it theoretically to build that is uh, it's not that hard even mm-hmm. if you want to build it right yeah. and 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 then you and then so i'm used i'm used i'm used elaborating on that story yes. mm-hmm. and and then of course if you rethink recruitment from scratch right mm. but then you get to a lot of other topics right you know depending on what you're recruiting in that mm. this is leadership this is headhunting this mm. is sort of you know I, i'm not going to have an ai calling up uh, and do a yes <laughs> a, 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 I, i want to actually. you want an ai to call le wallenberg hey i have a new job for you <laughs> <laughs> you know how much time i spend on the phone with recruitment i love no, when i, I have a chatbot recruit yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm kidding a bit, but still. But maybe you could have this pre-screening call. <laughs> hey, we we have a job for you. Click one if you want to hear more. No, but <laughs> have you heard GPT three speaking? <laughs> okay, not going. No, there. but I, but I think this is interesting because mm. if you then take the human-centric ap- approach, um, mm. and, and then okay, this is actually a cyborg happening in my head right now. Uh, yeah. It's quite interesting that, of course, that the the computer part of the cyber kicks in and and and, and searches the internet. Mm. The c- computer part kicks in and sort it and and, and structure it, mm. and on on some sorting categories that I have mm. defined, you know, uh, which is quite sophisticated now. Mm. Uh, might be decision model, right? Mm. Uh, and that, of course, we can do a lot, and then have a look at that and. I, I you see it. It's not that. So how, mm. how does recruitment work at Solita? Can you uh, recruitment at Solita is we have like our in-house uh, mm. uh, recruiters uh, that are kind of headhunters, like the ninja. Mm. Yeah, the ninja. <laughs> what does a ninja mean in recruitment terms? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually know. But at that point, we didn't actually have any titles in that sense. So everybody picked one that sound, sounded good. <laughs> so, <laughs> cool. so yeah, but uh, yeah. But uh, we have like people who are uh, kind of running the recruitment process, but then our organization, our consultants and people leads, and depending on the role, are participating in the in the interview process. And we always start with a cultural match, mm-hmm. the values, mm-hmm. the value base, how we St- are. Start, you mean in the, like the first topic first, of discussion? Yeah, or yeah. first topic of for, discussion. For fil- first filter. Yeah, first filter, mm. if you fit into this kind of, uh, the kind of values, w- what way do you work and what mm. kind of things do you appreciate uh, and how kind of, a, yeah. But all, all that kind of stuff that kind of builds up the kind of the relationship and understanding from human to human. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the second part is more kind of going through what the kind of work life is and what the kind of the role that was discussed and so on if that was the right role but if we feel that it could be something else and so on Mm -hmm. so then it's uh, from colleague to colleague Uh, then there is kind of a tech stuff going further and uh, kind of a usually uh, utilizing also scenario methods so you Mm -hmm. sit with the whiteboard Mm -hmm. through teams at this time (laughs) kind of asking how would you kind of a blank canvas, how to, would you do this and that? And mm-hmm. we take in quite a, uh, a little uh, people because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, from from all the applications because our kind of quality has to be quite high. And then all this, we don't ever sacrifice our cultural values for right. tech skills yeah. or vice versa. So it has to be a good combination. And, and the most of the tech also that there is a potential and there is passion, there is mm-hmm. courage, and then there is kind of the person who is a kind of a, laid back, uh, mm. a nice person who still kind of have, has the kind of wish to work in a, in a kind of network and a community like uh, ours. And then you have to have these kind of different steps in the, there is only kind of like three steps in our recruitment process because it has to be also fast. Yeah. So you can, That's impressive. Yeah, so you don't have to kind of keep it kind of people hanging mm. uh, for too long mm. and, and uh, waiting for a decision. But I guess still you, you do have to spend quite some time with recruitment uh, as a lot of companies. And yeah. It is painful and yeah. very expensive mm. and it has, takes time to, you know, the, the question about false positives or false mm. negatives, you know, yeah. if, you, if you hire a person that is a false um, positive, someone that actually didn't turn out well, mm. that can be extremely costly. Exactly. And, and that's false. where you have to screen quite uh, quite yeah. thoroughly, like in the in the process. Mm. And we want to also make sure that this person actually belongs 
to yeah. Solita because it's it's a horrible situation for both parties too because our people are what we are and mm. and we really want kind of everybody who comes in to to enjoy and 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 be at home mm. so so it's really important to take these steps still but mm. I, I think absolutely like automating stuff we have also kind of a, uh, built-in systems and stuff like that so yeah. that helps it helps us in like sorting and so on but okay. the most important thing i think is also to 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 communicate correctly mm-hmm. to get your kind of the soul out of the of the company so mm-hmm. the people who actually feel that this could be something for me mm-hmm. so that it's not kind of generic uh, job postings and we need a data engineer and you must mm-hmm. have this ding 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 but you that is kind of Python desc- and Java yeah and yeah yeah but you describe a little bit more of the what mm-hmm. we're looking for and who are we so i, I think that's so really soft interesting. skills versus hard skills is that way Yeah, maybe the co- company culture and, and describing the kind of soul and and uh, because so what you're highlighting mm. now is also the fit. Yes. So so a recruitment process is is not only about they are fitting us, but it's being very very clear in what we are. So mm. does the, this fit you and your yeah. personal agenda? Exactly, so, because this is a relationship. Yeah. That yeah. is supposed to last for a long time. It's a big investment that yes. we do, mm. and 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 it's also something that we will kind of rely. Are, are participating in our kind of business development and competency development, yeah. everything in, mm-hmm. in contributing that we grow in a, in sustainable way, mm-hmm. and our customers are happy and so on. So it's it's the most critical part of the business. And therefore, but if you yeah. were to just you know mm-hmm. make a wish, yeah. say, I wish I didn't have to spend time with this kind of boring going through CVs or whatnot kind yeah. of process or step mm-hmm. in the process. Is there some part that you wish this is something that we could make much more efficient and accurate? in the recruitment process. Yeah, I think um somehow um yeah, but it's a it's a very long <laughs> there's so many things that we should change in the whole kind of job seeking mm-hmm. <laughs> how yes, how right. we do it. <laughs> so so it, it it starts from the very grounds of of how we have kind of a how companies have kind of set up these processes and how we seek job and and so yeah. on and apply for a job. So it's um uh, But I would like to see more kind of automation in that sense. That, but I would also like to see empathy being mm. put into the results. So if the machine kind of sorts out the kind of the first part of the CVs and mm. puts them into the good bucket and then the less interesting buckets or whatever, mm. so that there still would be somebody just checking out that was this really kind of a if we can find the golden nuggets mm-hmm. <laughs> from the less desirable, but but maybe potential basket. Mm-hmm. So that would, of course, me- make it a lot easier. Yeah. But I think it's it's really hard. We have been trying with dating apps, right? <laughs> and all kinds of stuff to, to try to find like yeah. relationships. A and Tinder for and, yeah. recruitment. <laughs> yeah. Tinder for recruitment. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, we were talking about Tinder for projects and all kinds of stuff so that our mm-hmm. consultants can kind of a <laughs> love a project where they want to work and uh, so on. So yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. re- new thinking. Yeah, but it's a relationship that you build, and I I think it's very hard to automate also relationship building. Mm. So so you can have like the first impulses and so on, but the digital journey, of course, it's it's interesting and it's kind of entire team. Some some kind of um, I think that we can be better in kind of handling the funnel mm. with the automation mm. and so on, and and getting that kind of a, we have these reminders also. You're terribly late. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Are we? Should we go into another theme, or mm-hmm. um, I, I would like to pick a theme 
now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, go for it. I, 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 so, so I would like to explore uh, with you how you see the future of, if, if I use the words, network economy, gig economy, the future of employment, the future of consulting, uh, the future of how enterprises will engage with experts. Mm. You know, where do you, you know, the consultant industry works in one way today, and we have some big American companies or whatever. We have some Nordic companies who are getting larger. Uh, We have brokers out there who's doing their part, and we have a lot of freelance guys, Mm. and we have small companies who's popping out of the mid-sized consultancy start doing their own thing. So where, where, where do you think this whole um, way of finding talent and working with talent is going? Yeah, I, I was just talking with uh, with my colleagues about this, and it's quite funny because we go from from one era to other, another, and it's like a wave. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we we come back and forth uh, in this like um, thinking. So we know all that there was like the the nearshoring or whatever offshoring uh, trend booming mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point, and then they were like, okay, but they need to be local consultants, and we came to that extreme. Then there has been kind of the the broker yeah. <laughs> broker wave, and then and then again, like oh my god, this is not working. Why is that not working? Maybe it was the pro- is yeah. it, What does brokering do well, I and where does I, it not I work? I have one customer who actually have changed their purchase uh, strategy, uh, big uh, company, mm-hmm. and I was really kind of impressed about that because they uh, they had divided the procurement processes into running business, changing business. Oh, love that! Now this is interesting. Yes, and running businesses, and they have uh, they had also kind of uh, written their resources, Mm -hmm. running the business, and that's kind of broker business. I think that of course you can find the golden nuggets from there and so on, but usually kind of if you want to have some change going on, so you need to have a team in place. You need to have those advisors or somebody who has been doing this before who can be your kind of guiding. Guiding light and, and helping you to build yeah. I mean, and also kind of uh, transfer the knowledge to your organization and uh, and yeah, yeah. you know to think you, uh, brokering for me is also a little bit like puts a lot of uh, emphasis on the buyer being the orchestrator advisor and super expert themselves to really know what he wants and yeah. needs and now we're not so going into a data platform now you really need to know what data manipulation you are going for to recruit or to find the right because the broker will not do that for no, you no and and that's really hard and i i love that kind of a running and changing they had this approach because you had, it's it's a totally different kind yeah, because, of a, because it's if, a totally different consultancy work let's say so yeah and uh, I, if i have two of these and one is sick i can i can ask for exactly the same thing yeah and i can use a broker for that mm. but i never done ai before mm. um what should i ask for mm, exactly. a little bit trickier yeah yeah and, okay. Yeah, and also the kind of the transformation, something new, something that if you want to be on on top of things, so mm. so it has also kind of a little little bit of a different kind of price picture. And there you can have big ones or small ones or whomever ones who suit the bill uh, for kind of doing the yeah. But but change. But, but if we now move on, <laughs> uh, should should companies really use consultants if we want to become data driven? What's the purpose of the consultant? Because to my, I've seen sort of like, oh, we use consultants as a way to not needing to worry about this. We stay data illiterate. We don't really pick this stuff up. I use consultants to tick the box. I I get the solution working, 
But the company who has sort of understood that shit, we need to transform into something else. Mm. Uh, you know, what's the consultant role then? In, versus, you know, how don't you need to build this competence yourself? Yeah, and, and I kind of reflect back to that puzzle again. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I think that uh, if you want to do the transformation and yeah. you really kind of want to have data, for example, as an asset, yes, and so on. So you need to kind of. It's a change of uh, mindset and skills and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you need then is somebody to kind of um, to set up kind of uh, the first steps and, and the routines and, and show you the way. You need someone to hold your hand or hold guide your you. Hand and guide this you. is yeah, exactly. good value, yes. of course. We called ourselves as the kind of uh, in couple of years ago like the digital uh, travel guides <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was uh, yeah uh, that was our motto then before <laughs> yeah. but it was uh, it was already by back then but that's that's kind of the whole point and we we believe in long-lasting relationships with the customer but we are not there to do the same stuff over and over again but we're there to take on the challenge first and then transfer the knowledge of that and then we take on the next challenge mm -hmm. and so on and then gradually build a kind of the, the skill set of, uh, of uh, our customers mm -hmm. to that level that they feel uh, is supporting their kind of a core business and that level where they think that they need to have the in-house competency because maybe they don't have to be the, the champions of everything, but what is kind of sufficient to, to maintaining, again, to the running and changing uh, discussion yeah, a little bit. Oh, I like this, and, and, but let, let's, let's take again five years from now. Mm. We are talking about that we have a skills shortage of maybe 70,000 exactly. skilled 80 mm. experts. So whether we, either way we look at it, as consultants, as freelancers, or as hiring them, we have a problem with talent, right, mm. in some ways. So five years from now, what do you think the, the, the industry, is it working and functioning in the same way as now, or are we evolving into something else? I hope that the kind of companies who are now more in a kind of traditional industries or whatever their core business might be in a kind of data, but they would be more kind of a, uh, skilled in handling uh, yeah. the technology. And so, so one on. key trend is that you, we will have a higher, you know, handholding in five years should be on a higher level exactly. of maturity. Yeah. They, they need to really step up their own game as well. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, this is kind of... Uh, the, recruiting these people. Yeah, because this, this is kind of the problem of... Uh, because a lot of kind of product companies want to become like service companies and they need to have the kind of the, the skills to support that business because it's becoming their core because the mm -hmm. product is already so developed. So you can't kind of <laughs> overdevelop that, but then you have to have the add-on services for the kind of a next phase of the of the growth of a company. And there you have to have a different skill set. So uh, I, I truly hope and believe that uh, companies do kind of have that kind of a uh, larger kind of skill set themselves. And they are kind of investing a lot of money to that as well. And I think that us as consultant companies, we have a responsibility also to, to both kind of guide and help our customers to build that skill. Uh, that kind of a needed skill level in the companies and we need to kind of all the time develop our own skills plus that uh, like we have uh, something it's called Solita Academy so we take in uh, people that are kind of interested in a data career uh, and they go through the same recruitment process and so on but we kind of pick in people who have not been working with uh, with this uh, before, but have a huge passion for that. As a yeah. way to basically uh, increase the pool to yes. meet the 70,000 
yeah, demand. Because, yeah, and this is one of my kind of a, kind of key messages always is that okay, we can always sit here and say like oh seventy thousand, horrible, horrible, but always kind of a, put the elephant into pieces yes. and start doing something. Doing, yes, do something about it. It's not that hard, and if everybody would do a little bit of something, so soon we would have like this problem fixed. Yes. Hmm. Cool. And uh, it would be fun to also speak about something. Um, Unfortunately, close to everyone's mind right now, which is Corona as well. Mm. And uh, there is a lot of. Um, I would like to hear, for one, you know, we want companies to transform to be more adapting to the data and AI business, but now they have to transform to handle the Corona situation as yeah. well. And for one, to transform to working remotely and and still having a working environment. And I know at Solita you you have a lot of passion for having a good working environment. How do you manage today the yeah. situation with working remotely and, and handling this situation? Yeah, uh, for us, like the the way of working, it was quite fast, you know, uh, and we didn't have any hustle, hustle in, in that because we already had all the kind of digital means to work remotely. Mm. Uh, what we have been doing and, and kind of a, uh, on a concrete level is, is like a, we have had fantastic things uh, um, coping in uh, difficult times kind of psychological sessions that uh, psychological we, sessions yeah, what like, does that mean? like this kind of a some mental well-being sessions mm. uh, we have in-house coaches uh, at mm. solita as well for our, our employees to utilize whatever kind of problems in lives or or development issues or whatever mm. uh, they want to talk about so the doors are open for our employees to go and mm. and and, and uh, utilize our in-house coaches and they also develop this kind of a mental health or well-being kind of mm. workshops during the corona when it broke broke out and we also established different kinds of channels where we kind of compare our home offices and, and share tips and tricks mm. from different countries and share small videos and and all, all kinds of stuff uh, but this kind of a mental well-being session it was so awesome i, I participated one and uh, i had like there was two three hundred of my colleagues in different countries sitting in that session in and a single session yeah, in a single session like, through teams really? and we did uh, discuss openly about kind of the anxieties that we have in a kind how, of how chat how do you speak 300 people at once in there was the chats and they have kind of mo- kind of moderated it in okay. a really clever way and mm. we ended that session with this breathing exercise where uh, you put one hand on the on the chest and one on the stomach yeah. And then you listen and you start kind of breathing and getting that kind of the pulse down. And mm. when you have 300 people with their mics open, you know, oh, right. it's, uh, oh, it's, kind of cool. it's like the, the virtual <laughs> choir, if you heard about it, yeah, like yeah, Eric I, Whittaker kind of Have you thing. seen the virtual yeah. choir? Uh, no, I haven't. No, oh, that's, a, that's one of the most to. coolest uh, internet clip. Uh, yeah. How many days? So uh, there's many thousands of people singing in a choir and it's like, oh, so basically you, you, you can mm. be, be part of a choir. Everybody sings their piece. Yeah. You, you sing your uh, stemma theme yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Mm. And then basically you send your sample in uh, on yourself singing with, with, the, with the video. Yeah. And then you put it all together and made a choir, a uh, real choir with more than a thousand people, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And when he does it uh, on the video clip, you can see the tiles of 1,000 people singing. <sighs> 
Oh. And at the same time, the music is, I get goosebumps. Oh, <laughs> so beautiful. But it's super, super cool. Yeah. So, so well, cool. what is it called? Is it the digital? Uh, it's Eric Whittaker Virtual Choir. Yeah, if so you Google for that, you will find yeah, it. Yeah, so it, sure. it, it, it's a TED Talk. Like he started like doing it in a small scale and, yeah. then, it's, and then it like it became this sort of, yeah. let's, let's see if this can be done. Yeah. And it was a massive project to sort of, you know, orchestrate all that. Yeah. Yeah. But but the outcome, uh, wow, super cool. And even oh. the production is quite cool. Awesome. I think, yeah. you know, this is important to, you know, a lot of people I think struggle in, in times like this in sitting by yourself and now Corona is picking up again and you have to, you know, we actually just in Peltorian closed down the office completely yeah. like today. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, because of, we had a number of, you know, positive use cases and it seems to be growing too fast and, you know, we have to do what we can to stop the spreading. But at the same time, that caused a lot of mental stress. Yeah. Um, but I, I think these kind of mental well-being sessions sound, sound really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it has been really kind of appreciated and also kind of the, uh, our kind of network and feeling of our core, core value is caring. Mm. Uh, and that means that we care about each other. We are never alone. Mm. You're never alone with your question. Somebody is always helping you yeah. if you throw it in the Slack or whatever. Uh, that's make kind of a main communication channel for us. And and uh, and the kind of feeling of belonging. So you, you know that... Uh, you're in this network and you get all kinds of help and support and you can openly like be yourself because we don't identify anything between the kind of private me and the working me, but it's a, it's a whole person mm. and it's a whole life as well. So I, I think that's really important kind of to knowledge, acknowledge that and also as a company to take responsibility for the, for the kind of the, the most important asset for us mm. <laughs> in our company. But, but mm. can we go here a little bit? Because yes. now we're talking about the community and from a Corona perspective, and how we can help each other. But uh, I sensed also this connects back to Solita coming almost like from a developer community feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the practical hardcore way how you are maintaining and growing this community approach inside Solita? What's the real hardcore mechanisms you are doing that I think can be very valuable in Corona, but it's actually, I think, super valuable for any enterprise how to cascade out new ways of working and all that. So could you, maybe from a Corona point of view, but I think it's something that is, I sense it's quite deeply ingrained in how you work, mm -hmm. community. Yeah. What is that? How does it work for you? Yeah, kind of a, <laughs> yeah, as I said, so we're 1,200 people yeah. and, and you absolutely do not know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> You just know, know a couple and, and then you always be kind of introduced to the next one and so on. Uh, and that's how it, uh, it starts. But I, I think everything is kind of based on our kind of the values. And the values are nothing that a uh, management team somewhere decided upon, but they have grown from that developer community. Mm -hmm. And these are kind of the, the kind of the leading principles, how we are. And I hear a lot of times like my colleagues saying that, I'm sorry, but that wasn't really kind of solita. Wait. Uh, it's not the uh, yeah. No, that's not. So, that's so the not values really. basically grew bottom up, so yes, to speak, from absolutely. the people. Absolutely. Yeah. So there, there is an, and that's how everything happens in our company as well. Like the tech partner choices, it mm. doesn't come from the management team or anything. Mm. Management team is, is there, <laughs> but it's more kind <laughs> of autonomous. Yeah. <laughs> and we're trying to to take off the obstacles. My mm. work, for example, is is to if somebody sits stuck in some questions, to find from the network the right person to talk to, mm. uh, take kind of a sweep away. I'm the cleaning lady, <laughs> sweep sweeping away the obstacles and mm. and to be kind of a helping hand and and to support and and uh, and to inspire and. Uh, but, but 
but, yeah. but this is also essentially mm. now a, a difference between Tayloristic leadership and what Tayloristic management is all about towards more agile servant leadership. Yeah, servant uh, at the core. Is, yeah, at the exactly. core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The servant uh, is kind of a uh, word. So that that's is and I. Re- mm. So what I'm hearing in between the lines, Solita has that sort of. Ment- culture from the beginning what yes. what is the purpose of management yeah yeah exactly because the kind of a we have these all of these huge minds and experts mm-hmm. that we have recruited uh and there is no single person who knows anything better than somebody else but it's the combination of skills that that matters mm-hmm. and and uh, that we all do this together and and kind of this uh, old way of kind of i have decided here so <laughs> it doesn't really kind of fly <laughs> Mm-hmm. in uh, among skilled people and uh, but, yeah so okay so I, I i get the soft parts of this yeah. are there any hard parts of how you enf- not en- enforce is the wrong word how you foster this you know are you i mean like slack right you have slack or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. is is there some mechanisms here that are you know there to boost this or is yeah. it just all organic yeah, it's uh, mainly organic, and it sounds very stupid that now after kind of done two acquisitions in in uh, in uh, Sweden, so that we believe in organic growth, <laughs> so that's what we actually do in uh, Solita's history. We have made three acquisitions, uh, and it's more of a merger. It was also this kind of a started from value base uh, as our recruitment interviews as well. So it's uh, so it's more uh, more of a matter of of matching. Uh, than just the numbers or, or tech skills, but uh, but I think there is a, one very important part of of, uh, of the kind of mechanism is also that we gather feedback from our uh, from our employees every week. Every week, yeah, yeah I heard something yeah. about that. Yeah. How does that really work? Do you actually, do it every week. Yeah. We have uh, just a couple of questions because if you send out a kind of uh, this yearly annual kind of mm. survey, so you get kind of and in that point of view, kind of points of time, somebody could be pissed off and say, mm. "Just this yeah. sucks, I hate my my job and because whatever." It's in a because it's a sucky project or very stressed. Exactly, and that was a bad day. Uh, yeah, slept bad. four hours and so on. But we collect kind of feedback to different questions every week, so you get like a three questions oh. every week, mm-hmm. and then you answer, and they are kind of a time. To our value base and and to different dimensions, and uh, it all, it's a tool that's called Peacon that we use. A fantastic tool because then we can also engage in the dialogue dire- directly if we see that somebody and it's anonymous. But we also are now testing a feedback tool that is not anonymous, so we can give feedback to each other. And this kind of giving feedback is really important. And and when I started at Solita, so I I come from the <laughs> maybe a little bit more traditional kind of consultancy background and and and, and away from the diesel times to <laughs> kind yeah, of to learn to work and navigate in uh, in the kind of American uh, company. Yes, in in boxes, mm. so to speak. And when I started at Solita, so I was like, okay, and what should I do now? Can I just decide? Uh, this thing and and we encourage everybody to rather make a decision and try and then to see if it fails finish way in some way Uh, not at all (laughs) i wouldn't (laughs) say that because everybody is kind of uh, allowed to fail and we are also Uh, always when we lose something or something goes wrong so we have retro and then Mm. we discuss okay Uh, but nobody gets punished about kind of it's more punishable not to do anything. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I like that. You know, yeah. it's worse to not to do anything than to actually try something. Yeah, just go mm. ahead and try, and if it goes wrong, so it goes wrong. That's the way we learn. Mm. Uh, but the most important thing is also the reflection afterwards. Mm. So that you actually have the retro 
and you sit with the other people and reflect, not by yourself, and because you're not alone in this. Uh, but it's clear. You, you, I don't think you even think about it, but you have some mechanisms which are totally ingrained in how you operate mm-hmm. that is actually fostering this. I'm like you have retros, you have you have these uh, interview or questions every yeah. week, and you have you have a, a, a huge Slack community which is uh, organic in itself. Yeah. So these are mechanisms that is part of a networked economy. I believe it's yeah. part of the future way of. I mean, like a Tayloristic approach can never be as fast of deciding stuff. Yeah. I mean, like it's, imagine having should we try this out? Put it on the Slack. Got a couple of comments. Let's try it. Yeah. Do a retro. Yeah. You can't be faster, right? And oh. this is so different to a Tayloristic yeah. type of approach. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's ex- actually really interesting to see it actually happening with all of these people, uh, this amount of people that it actually works. Uh, and what our kind of challenge is going further. So, of course, we need some kind of structure. We need to make a profit and loss statement <laughs> and so on. And we need, need to, to report, report our the taxes. <laughs> yeah, we need to also report time and send out invoices and stuff like that. But it's kind of a... But for example, we never discuss about the internal invoicing uh, oh. from a uh, business unit to another or whatever. It's it's just totally irrelevant for our kind of uh, uh, daily operations, and and it's just kind of encouraging of, of uh, you know what it is. It's it's just kind of a creating a mental uh, kind of a security, a secure place where everybody is kind of accepted. Then you then you dare to do the decisions yes. and and try and and know that you're not going to be kind of executed but, <laughs> speaking to you know about daring to do decisions and, and I, i really love what you phrased before saying it's worth to not try to change than actually to try something and fail hmm. right and, and i think that speaks more than just to people but actually to companies yeah companies yeah. that you actually want to help from solita's yeah. point of view And um, I remember, I think it was the Minister of Education in Sweden that said something in in March or the spring that the the Corona situation has really transformed, um, for example, the educational system more in the last three months than in the last five years. And, you know, if we really try to do something, we can actually succeed surprisingly well. Mm And, and and thinking about this, you know, we we are seeing that Corona is changing the society in so many ways, mm. and, and we know that we we want to avoid the kind of AI divide we're seeing to the tech giants and the dependencies we have to their cloud solutions and whatnot, and, and we want to see the transformation there, but it's going really slowly, I think, at least in my view. Uh, I hope you agree. Mm. So so we want to have a transformation, and I wish. We could have a transformation as fast as Corona is, is doing in some way. Do you think that we can, in some way, find a positive spin of how Corona is transforming the society to also make people understand we can actually do a transformation and it's not that dangerous? Or what, what's your thinking there? Yeah. If, if I'm not sure if it yeah. was a clear question. Yeah, but, but I understand. Yeah, and uh, and I think. Uh, If we would do a retro after yes, <laughs> after, after Corona, corona yeah, <laughs> as, as, a, as, a, as a whole world, yes. <laughs> and think what has actually kind of a, what have we actually learned yeah. from this experience, and yeah. I, I think that's really important reflection also because we have customers who only have like a, a kind of a demand that consultants must be on site, mm. and that's really a hard. Uh, 
hard kind of a demand mm. to make when you have our kind of a delivery model is also to gather the best skill despite of where they are located at. Mm. And uh, especially in Corona times as well. Yeah, exactly. And But that, this that, has helped us and our delivery yes, model is more yeah. accepted now and, and companies are actually getting the best best right. uh, yeah, because skills. It, because this mm. is, you know, talking about skill Uh, mm. shortage and then and then expect uh, or you need to be on site <laughs> exactly. it, it doesn't add up no and that and then and then but then of course that's to say you have people working remote it's not the same as offshoring or outsourcing oh. and this is another conversation where i think this gig economy network economy or delivery model mm. uh, because uh, what the first generation here outsourcing right That that is a different ball game, which is maybe fitting for what you call it business as usual. Or the, run the business. Run the business. Run the, on, and change the business. Run the business with a very clear instruction, with a very yeah. manual task. Outsource mm. it mm. if it's not core business. Yeah. But change, you can't do that. But to have the best of the best working as part of a DevOps team, mm. sitting in the same environment, but now remote, is still quite good, right? Yeah. Uh, compared to having now not the right competence. Yeah. And, you know, we want to be a DevOps team, but we're not going to have the right competence because we need to be in the, you know. On site. Yeah. On site. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is, I, I think this is all for me, the new economy, right? And yeah. that, that is, I think this will change the consultant delivery models at the core. Yeah. And we will not talk about onshoring, offshoring, uh, you know, the big players who's playing that game. Mm. Um, and I also think that hasn't, you know, even how Solita works and who is actually core Solita mm. and who is a friend of Solita. Exactly. We have that concept as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have extended that our network <laughs> to the friends of Solita as well. Of course. Yeah. 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 In order to really have the best of the best. Yeah. 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 I, I find this is so. And then cor- putting Corona in the mix here. To, corona has taught us that we can work remote. Mm. Corona has taught us that um, when we have adversary in front of us and we simply need to fix something, mm. we find a way. Yeah. And, and I think that's yeah, but, really but working remotely one thing, and that's uh, something that Corona certainly have changed and, and made us, you know, be very skilled at. I think at this uh, day and time. But the other question is more like transforming not people but companies. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies had been forced now in, in recent months and in this year to change. Mm. So basically my question is, do you think, although Corona, of course, is a very negative impact in, in so many ways, both culturally, socially, and economically, and medically, and whatnot, um, could there be a positive aspect in terms of Yes, we can change. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And and I think also it has accelerated as you as you wished that mm. the kind of the data, AI and so on parts are going to get kind of accelerated and that's what I have at least seen mm. and our kind of a, So you mean accelerating despite corona in some ways accelerating? Yes, absolutely. Not only projects stopping. No, no. We uh, our kind of a, our biggest mistake in corona was to 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 slow down recruitment. Because now we're paying the price here. Uh, it has gone really kind of uh, really well for us during yeah. this time. Because uh, what they have, uh, our customers have said that you, even though some some consultants have been kind of a kind of a, uh, assignments have been ended, but not ours because we sit in the very core of of mm. the kind of a solution to uh, 
uh, to a new economy. Do they see the need to transform? Is yes. That the th- yeah. yeah, and it has to go faster. Yeah. Yeah. So you Good. so you you think you're coming into more and more conversation where the sense of urgency has yes. picked up, yeah. and Corona has actually pushed the urgency. Yes, to become more more data driven, digital, to actually kind of uh, add the the kind mm. of database services and. Uh, on top of a product offering uh, yeah, and to and automize processes and this and that. And the resilience. I mean, like our, our, resilience, our, our, yeah. Our, yeah. Our, our, our process broke down. It had too many manual steps in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, okay, clearly that was a problem when we couldn't be yeah. physically on site. Yeah. Yeah. So that we knew we should fix that and now let's do it. Yeah. Now it's that, that now we need to do we it. We need to do it. Yeah, but it, it's a little bit like the schools and, and the education part that we uh, we can actually take those steps. And and I hope that there is plenty of companies who, who are going to realize this if mm. they didn't find it in the beginning of the corona yet. But I, I think uh, this is going to kind but, of... But, a, but changing companies now, because here mm. we are talking about, okay, we are, we're highlighting the urgency of projects. But the fundamental problem is also how we are steered and how we are making decisions and the t- Tayloristic leadership. Mm. And uh, to give an example, uh, what, uh, customer I work with a lot, they they introduced the golden arrow mm-hmm. uh, as a concept where okay, this is in in in, in the beginning of Corona and the midst of Corona. Mm-hmm. Okay, we really need to get some information or some data. Where, you know, so so this whole idea of scrambling around the golden arrow. So mm-hmm. so like so everybody, we drop it, we do this. And had tremendous pace yes. and tremendous, uh, uh, you know, fantastic results mm. in extreme short times. Mm. But it's also quite, you know, it puts a light on to me. Hmm, uh, maybe this is a better steering. Uh, you know, maybe mm. this Tayloristic steering or governance will ne- could never produce that. Mm. Are you seeing those changes, or how do you think about those changes? Because yeah. I think that is mm. to truly change the company. Yeah. Yeah, as well. yeah, and I, what we have seen is a lot of organizational change during Corona as well. So there is a lot of kind of a, a changing changes in organizational structures, as you know, uh, because you need to rethink. You really need to think how how are we going to get, kind of manage through this, uh, which has as actually t- kind of taking uh, steps toward. Uh, being more data driven mm-hmm. and so on, but but of course when you engage with the larger organizations and <laughs> kind of multinationals and who have been working this and that way, so the the journey is long. And I, I remember when we started with one huge client here in in Sweden like a couple of years ago, and I was like, we nudge, we nudge. <laughs> slowly slowly nudge and you will see and then we al- also always make these kind of reflections uh, each quartile or, or half a year with the team because <laughs> you get frustrated when you're like oh we want to work when agile it's like you are more agile than you were like a month ago yeah. just let's check back what has happened and oh yes but it's 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 steps kind of uh, forward it's like the, yeah. the Elon Musk uh, talking about the Trump presidency and, you know, the dangerous potentially of that. And he's basically said, well, presidency is basically having a small rudder on a huge chip so he can steer all he wants on that small rudder, but it doesn't really change the direction of the chip. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's hard thing to to change the direction of a large. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's nice to hear that because I I just said uh, also, uh, I want to quote the kind of... uh, uh, but uh, Linda Blood, the the mm. <laughs> the Skugs monk, <laughs> the forest, uh, the uh, what's his uh, Bjorn, uh, I think. 
No, you don't know. No, I'm not. No, I, you have to listen. To, I will send you a link to his uh, summer talk on the <laughs> on the radio uh, many years ago, and now he did this summer again. But uh, his uh, kind of a motto that he also kind of engraved on his wedding ring was "This, sh- this too shall pass," <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is quite nice kind of thinking because yes. this is this is and I have always said uh, after the kind of the election of. Uh, of uh, Trump that, yes, of course, there is the last roar of the dinosaur because the change is e- evident. Mm. It, it's it's just that you can't avoid it. It's such a force and it comes. But of course, the kind of the ones who have kind of earned their money with the old <laughs> mm. old structures and, and are afraid and want to maintain the old, of course, there is going to be resistance like in every change and there is going to be some roar if it's like two or or one or three mandate periods or whatever but it that too shall pass because ex- actually as you say the boat is so big yeah. so you can't stop it and you can't kind of a mm. there will be kind of a uh, we're in the midst of some kind mm. of a change management process yeah. <laughs> where I there's think, resistance. You know, this is an awesome like a uh, final quote um, in some sense this too will pass and, and that <laughs> doesn't only speak about corona or the trump presidency but uh, perhaps the, the the ai divide and whatnot that we're seeing now will at some point pass i hope right yeah exactly <laughs> should we take what one last scene okay or, um uh, we we always ask the singularity question. Well, why don't we do that <laughs> okay, here? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, like it's always interesting to hear people. Uh, I mean, like one of the key ideas with with with, with this uh, podcast is basically to look at different perspectives of becoming data and AI driven. And and one way also of doing that is asking a similar question from super techy guys to you know leaders and stuff like that. And we actually have we had had one question where we basically come up. How do you understand the you know artificial uh, general intelligence and when we sh- when will we reach singularity? You know what is your view on this? Well, well, <laughs> yeah, I I think it's a yeah it's a very theoretical, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, philosophical, yeah, very philosophical, a, a philosophical approach, ending, yeah. yeah. Yeah, how could I even? I don't. I don't have the answer. <laughs> I might say, and I. I don't know if it's something that um. Nothing that you are preoccupied with. Not in my daily life, no. at least, because I think it's a, it's a natural part of an evolution somehow, and it will get somewhere uh, on some some level. And I I think it's it's a little bit the same that we're trying to always kind of figure out the future <laughs> in our mm-hmm. heads, and nobody knows. Uh, so, so I leave it to the to the faith. <laughs> you leave it. You leave that question to the faith. I think that's a question. Yeah, that's a nice. Yeah. I, I don't. Oh, it's pretty good. I like it. And uh, one last question: yeah. um, Who should we invite to this podcast that you would like to recommend? Oh wow! Hmm. You know what? I have to say, I have an awesome colleague. Uh, and I think he uh, he's been working in in Sweden for a couple of years now, and he's the kind of the visionary of the future of uh, how data and all of the different parts of of kind of uh, uh, 
from the tech are kind of joining and melting together into this fantastic data story. Mesh. The data mesh. The <laughs> data mesh kind of a guy. So yeah. <laughs> so you have a data mesh guy for us. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would actually. I think uh, you would love to talk with him because he has a huge uh, vision and, and uh, really. And he describes it so that at least you think that you understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, one of the yeah. challenges: how we can make uh, the future more understandable and clear, and and as we can have a direction to go for. So yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. So, Mister Antilokiala is my uh, my tip for you because hey, at this point I have not see, uh, heard uh, uh, such visionary thoughts from. From many people, oh. visionary in terms of how companies should work, or visionary yeah, in terms good. of society in general, or what? No, data, but kind of the tech. kind of the data tech point of okay. view, mm-hmm. and and how all of these kind of tech solutions actually meld together into this nice. kind of uh, yeah. So so where where you know so where's the tech and data? Where, where's the society? The foundation yeah. around how will that work together? Yeah. Oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah. Cool. Super cool. <laughs> Awesome. It's been a true pleasure as usual to, to, to have you here. And uh, it's been, yeah, yeah, I wish we had more time to speak more, more, more about more topics. Um, Goran, did you want to say something? or? Yeah. Um, so what's next in your life, Petronella? What's happening in uh, Solita and, and for you personally? Yeah, and then now we are kind of uh, preparing for for next year uh, a little bit and uh, having our sights on on 2021 uh, already mm-hmm. like a month ago. So so we have in our minds kind of a already a little bit kind of close this year, uh, uh, which has been awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> and a big uh, kind of a growth year in all kinds of uh, aspects mm-hmm. for everybody from personal points of view and uh, and everything. So it's been awesome, awesome kind of a ride and, and in a very special moment. And uh, the next uh, stop for me is to kind of uh, <laughs> take on uh, new challenges again, mm-hmm. as I always do. Every day is, <laughs> is a new day. And uh, and also I'm waiting really much to get my my daughter back home uh-huh. <laughs> on, on Monday. And uh, yeah, but just kind of continuing with the fantastic journey and, and uh, learning every day. Uh, how to kind of be a even better kind of modern leader and 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 uh, and and dividing kind of the responsibility and the organization in a good way and yeah and coaching yeah. people going so, further. So something exciting is happening and uh, moving forward. Always, always, always. Every day is different. So mm-hmm. that and that's the most uh, most kind of uh, the best way for me to to spend my life. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's been a true pleasure being yeah. here, guys. This was so nice. Was it fun? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks.